Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Last night, David and I had one of those stressful evenings. I'll keep it short, but... I want to share this with you because, number one, I want you to understand that we deal with the same things in our marriage that you do, and we need to learn right along with you. And number two, even in our stress and disagreements and misunderstanding, we and you can choose to hit reset on our attitudes. It's not easy, but by God's power and His Spirit and His Word, He's going to give us the ability to not fall prey to our emotions. He gives us an option of what road to choose. Well, I'm going to spill the beans up front. Last night, I chose the wrong road. You want to hear about it? David is not normally a stressed out guy. If you know him, you know this is true. But given the right tornado of life, it is possible. And you know how it is. In our stress, it's hard to be godly. David, I think you put in a what, 10 or 11 hour day yesterday? And David works from home, so I could hear the tension in his job even from behind a closed door. And then for some reason, when you don't think you can handle anything extra, that's when one or two Extra things take up the rest of your night, but more importantly, any margin you had left to display the fruit of the Spirit. As soon as my workday ended, I spent an hour and a half cleaning sewer out of the washing machine lift pump in our basement. And it was not going well. It was 10 years of nastiness. And while he was wrapping that up, I found water on the other side of our basement and this ucky white mold growing on the concrete floor. So I figured it was a pipe leaking somewhere and I just couldn't believe it. So I found David and said, hey, I think we've got bigger problems. Come and take a look. And of course, I didn't think I was really wrapping up this first project. I was still up to my elbows and nastiness and I snapped at you. Can't you just tell me what it is? And as it turned out, we had a gallon of bottled water that had cracked and dumped a gallon of water on the floor probably like five days before. Now, it wasn't that big of a deal, but my response was, yeah, I cleaned up the water and the mold, but both of us had a snappy attitude with each other. So here we are in part four of the series on attitude, and we were given a prime opportunity to put what we've been learning with you into action. You know that still small voice, the one that tells you, Tracy, just keep quiet, and then you don't listen? Well, I should have listened. Through some other circumstances and my perception of David's attitude, my attitude took a nosedive. I let my emotions rule. My reaction to David's reaction to all this stress was not good, and it definitely didn't help our communication and our unity. It actually drove a wedge between both. The thing is that when it comes to emotions and how they affect our attitude, we're really not at their mercy. And I think we so often believe we are. We have choices, always. There's a very real war going on for your heart. At all times, it's between our flesh and the Spirit of God. So how do we reset our attitude and how do we help our spouse to reset theirs? Those are the questions that we're going to be getting into today on Vows to Keep Radio, the show where you get sound biblical counsel that you can apply immediately to your marriage. We're your hosts, David and Tracy Sellers of Vows to Keep. We're biblical marriage counselors, authors, teachers, podcast hosts, radio hosts, and conference speakers. If you want to get back to being on fire for your spouse and on fire for God, you're definitely in the right place. As we begin today, I want you to think about some of the emotions and attitudes that are hard for you. 
the ones that scream to get their way the loudest. Maybe for you, it's the hard to please attitude, the annoyed attitude, the frustrated one, judgmental, anxious. If we look back over the course of just this last week, we can all see plenty of times where we wrestled with doing the right thing. And we didn't. Now, the enemy would want us to believe that we have no choice when it comes to how we feel and how we react. You're just a victim. And when we buy into that, we give him ground to work with. Satan has the upper hand. But how ironic is it that he would never tell us that if we become a slave to our emotions, that we won't be a servant of Christ in those moments. We can't have a successful relationship with our spouse if our heart is divided. We'll always be loyal to one and not the other. I'm so thankful that when we slip and fall, just like I did last night, choosing my own way, God has another way for us. Belief first, obedience next, and the feelings will follow. Now, if I allow my emotions to rule me, I become ruled by my flesh, ruled by what comes naturally to me in my sinful nature. If I choose to believe God's way is best, my emotions will eventually catch up with my choice of obeying God. God isn't saying I won't feel real feelings, even very strong ones, but I can know what to do with them. I can overcome emotions that lead me down ungodly paths because God's word tells me what to do with these emotions. And by obeying God's word when it comes to those sinful attitudes that lead to sinful actions and words, God will give me victory over the feelings even if I still feel them. Like David said, belief first, obedience next, feelings follow. So if you can, turn with us to Colossians chapter 3. It starts out by reminding us of what we believe. Verses 3 and 4 says, For as far as this world is concerned, you have died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is our future. This is our present. We believed in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Now we need to be reminded of where that belief is taking us. We're not of this world. God has saved us. And now we have the awesome opportunity to become more like him. It's the process of sanctification. How does this happen? By obedience, whether I feel like it or not. The next part of this passage is where I see this getting very practical for our attitudes. This is where I start to see how I can reset my attitude. Read the rest of Colossians 3 for yourself today. And in verses 5 through 14, you're going to see we're instructed to put to death, to put off whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And it mentions things like anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, evil desires, and greed. Everything that belonged to our old self, who we used to be without Christ. God then tells us, you got to replace these things with a new nature, one that is growing to be Christ-like. And he calls it out. He says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. Ask God to help you do this. He will answer that prayer. The feelings part is in the very next verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. We can now let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts rather than the anxiety, the self-pleasing tendencies, the constant seeking to make our own lives comfortable, which, by the way, has never brought me lasting peace. All over the scripture, I can see God setting up this model for me. Belief first, obedience next and the feelings will follow. So let's talk about a few more practical things that we can do to reset our attitude 
when we feel it going sideways. We know we need to put off these things. We know we need to put on these things. But in the tense moments of bad attitudes, what can we do? Reset number one, I'm going to title it praise and thanksgiving. When I'm in a moment of having a bad attitude, or maybe even a season in my life where my attitude is an issue, what I need is less of me and more of Jesus. I need to put off my flesh and put on that new nature reflecting my Savior. Now, God's presence is always with us. We know that. We see promises in God's word of that, like in Psalm 139. But I need to be personally aware of it in the moment that my emotions attempt to take over my attitude. The Holy Spirit lives in us as Christians, but you also have an open invitation to come to the Lord. And that requires an action on your part. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 4. In the Psalms, we're called to enter his gates. How? With thanksgiving. We're called to come into his courts. How? With praise. That's Psalm 100. Our way out of the temptation to have a sinful attitude is to start with thanksgiving, not the holiday, the heart posture. It's a place of humility that says, I'm not always right. I don't always know what's best for me or for this situation, but I do know the one who goes before me, goes behind me, knows every single thing I need the one who's promised to never leave me or forsake me. In fact, if I have Jesus, I have all I need. You can read about that in Psalm 16. I am completely provided for. And suddenly, I'm thankful. I find it nearly impossible to sin with my attitude and emotions when my heart is humbly worshiping God. But this isn't reserved for Sunday mornings. Praising God isn't always just a song on our lips or thanking him for something he has done. Here is what praise can look like for you in the middle of a bad attitude, trusting in God that he is enough and you don't have to work to get something for yourself. That's entering into his gates. That's coming into his presence. It's then that your attitude will begin to change. And yes, you can do this right in the middle of an ugly conversation that's quickly going from bad to worse. You don't have to wait until you're alone. You don't have to wait till you can gather your thoughts. Start with the praise of trusting God and your heart will soften immediately and you'll start to see immediate communication improvement in your marriage. Reset number two is to go from receiver to giver. When I'm having a sinful attitude, I've almost always put myself in the position of a receiver. I'm not looking to contribute to a situation to make it better. I'm looking for how can I be served? What do I get out of this? So flip it around. Position yourself to be a giver in the situation. Someone used by God to bring help and to love others. Taking our eyes off of ourselves. Now, the fastest and easiest way to do this is to ask one simple question. What does this other person need? It's the same for kids as it is for marriage. Let's say you asked one of your kids, hey, I want you to go do something, and they didn't follow through. Now, naturally, you get frustrated. Sometimes we get angry, and suddenly... You're acting more like a kid yourself with no self-control. So ask yourself, in their disobedience, what do they need? It's not your wrath. No, it's discipline. You are called to be the parent God asks you to be. Is what you're asking necessary and reasonable? Sometimes it's not. Is it just for your comfort? If so, what they need most is for you to lay down your idols of a perfectly clean house or an an idol of, of having me time, not being bothered so that they aren't raised in a home where material things are worshipped rather than where people are valued, where serving God is declared as the most important. 
or Tracy very early on in our relationship, I-, I walked into this marriage with a lot of expectations on the frequency and the enthusiasm for intimacy. And I would come home from work and have that expectation, that hope that Tracy would be in a different spot from where she was. A few years into our marriage, we had two young kids. And what the Lord laid on my heart one day, coming home from work with all kinds of expectations of her and seeing that she wasn't there, was how much I needed to have my focus changed to be on how I would restore Tracy. That was the only way that I would honor him with what would happen that night. So that meant things like filling up the bathtub and saying, oh, Tracy, I need you to go get in the bathtub. The bathtub's going to float away. You're on a rescue mission to keep that bathtub in our house. You got to stay there for at least an hour. And I would work to get the kids put down to to bed or, or whatever responsibilities there were that remained in that day. Now, the other side of this, so let's say that that wasn't the way I came home. And honestly, it wasn't always, but the Lord really worked on my heart. And instead I had the attitude of, why are you so cold? Why is it that you don't want to be with me in this way? That would have been a much bigger turnoff. It would have set things in the wrong direction even further. Giving Tracy time to unplug was God honoring. And honestly, it set up the best opportunity to allow that kind of intimacy to happen later. Now, this extends even to the most simplest things. Let's say you're at a local store and you're waiting for that elderly cashier to go through checking out the person in front of you. And you're already late and you start to get frustrated. I mean, these are real situations. In all these moments, you need to ask yourself, what does that cashier need? What does my wife need? What does my daughter need? I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about digging deep with this question. When you see who you're interacting with as someone with an eternity, someone made in God's image, someone God wants to love through you, someone who has needs, you'll see that God has positioned you to be an instrument in his hands, a tool in their life, and your attitude will take a hard reset. You are in that place to be a giver. Don't believe your feelings and your emotions. Because when you do, you move yourself. And the attitudes you are tempted to have right out of the way, they disappear. And what you have is a complete reset. All right, one more. Reset number three, look for the way out of the temptation to have a sinful attitude. My wrong attitudes are really just sins. But there are times that I teeter on the edge. Am I going to give in to the sin or not? What I'm talking about here is temptation. The belief that I'll be better off or get what I need if I give in to the sin. I love all of God's promises, but this one from 1 Corinthians 10, 13 really hits home right in the middle of this subject of sinful attitudes. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Here's the best part. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God promises to provide a way out for us, so let's look for it. Let's find it. God is giving it to you. Most of the time, our way out is really just choosing to obey God's word. For example, in James 1.19, we see that we have a choice with our mouths. It says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Or Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you see the choices that we have here? 
So many more scriptures to put into practice when we're tempted. Choosing to obey God's word will always give you a way out. Now, maybe you've been thinking this whole time, it's, it's not me that needs this help. How do I help my spouse to reset their attitude? First, you need to seek to understand, to really see what has set the course of their attitude. And I'm talking about really investigating, digging in. What are they believing that's wrong? What are their expectations and what is God asking them to do that they're not being obedient? We taught on this in the first two episodes so that you can practice this yourself and then help your spouse in that same way. But it's so key to understand how your spouse is getting off track, not so you can judge, but so you can help them. And I would encourage you, if you missed those broadcasts, go check them out on VowsToKeep.com. You need to seek to find out what they're believing rather than just the emotions they're spewing. As we said, it's belief first, it's obedience next, and the feelings will follow. So you got to look past their emotions, work to see what's happening in their heart. Understand that pit that they might be in. Recognize it's the same pit that you're in sometimes. And this will help keep your heart out of the quicksand of pride and and judgment, making it easier for them to allow you to come alongside them as an ally. In our effort to help them reset, don't come to them and complain about the impacts of their bad attitude on you. Basically, don't let your feelings lead the conversation. Let your beliefs lead the conversation. What is true about your spouse or your kids or this coworker or or whoever it may be? What is truth? What does God's word say about this? Start there. Then call for obedience to what God's word is telling us to do. Talk to them about the impacts their attitude is having on their relationship with God, on their testimony of those that are around them that see and know them as a believer on the impacts to themselves. And this is so key. You need to point out, I don't want you to suffer. Your attitude is causing distress in your life. This isn't about me. But it's also helpful to show them where this attitude might be affecting others in your family. You're teaching them a pattern that they're either going to follow or run from. A little backstory on me. When I was growing up, my mom was someone who habitually had a terrible attitude. And I could have gone in the same direction as my mom. Throughout middle school, I was looking at the things that were happening and she was constantly unsatisfied. Always something negative to say. I started to pick that up and I could have justified that. Oh, you know what? I just inherited this. This is what was modeled to me. It's normal. And I saw that it got what I wanted, right? Sympathy. That was the very thing my mom was usually after. Our kids mimic what they see. Thankfully, in my life, I was able to see that this was something that I had to do differently. We've got to help our kids to reset their attitude by modeling that attitude that Christ gave to be a servant. As we wrap up this four-part series on how our attitude affects our marriage, communication, and unity, I want to ask you, what's your source? Are you plugged into Christ or are you plugged into your emotions and desires? You have a choice. I have a choice. And it starts with believing the truth. Remember the five action points from earlier in this series? Believe truth, think truth, speak truth, live truth, and give truth. Let's walk through them one more time to plug ourselves into the best source there is, our God and his word, so our hearts can become more and more like Christ and our attitudes can be reset wherever it's needed. The first one is believe truth. And this one, we have to watch the closest because what I believe is in a constant state of flux. 
What I believed this morning about God or myself or my marriage could be waylaid by a lie that looks better for me in the end, by the end of the day. If belief sets my attitude and directly affects my communication with David, then I have to be very vigilant about filling my mind and heart with the word of God, the truth, watching who is influencing me and each day asking God to help me be led by his spirit. The next one is think truth. The Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. We do not have to just accept and act on every thought that comes into our minds. We should take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.4-5. We can choose to think truth instead. Philippians 4.8-9 and 9 tells us what we should be thinking. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just— Whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Speak truth. Our thinking changes what we say, both offensively and defensively. The reactions we have to big and little deals. Through the lens of the truth of scripture, when a situation pops up, I want you to evaluate why this situation feels like a big deal to me. Maybe after some examination, you realize it's really not. If it is a big deal, what would Christ's attitude and speech be like in this situation if it were happening to him? If it's not a big deal, let it go and choose to encourage who you're with, build them up instead, like it says in Ephesians 4, and seek to understand what this other person needs. Live truth. When you put these things into practice, this is the result. You're going to live truth. God's presence is going to go with you and give you peace. Your life will begin to reflect what you believe, including your marriage. You're going to be living out Philippians 2, 14 through 15, doing all things without grumbling or complaining that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Because a grumbling heart means a dissatisfied and unpleasable person, and that results in wrong attitudes that break communication. The complaining mouth snuffs out that light of Christ that's in us. It makes us ineffective to help our spouse reset their attitude. And finally, give truth. Doing all of these things, we've set ourselves up to be successful in marriage. And now we can give the truth of Christ, the life of Christ to our spouse, our kids, our grandkids. You've become a conduit for Christ before you were just a conduit to demand your own desires. Now, rather than having ripple effects that divide, God will use you to have ripple effects for the good of others and for his glory. You're no longer living selfishly, seeking just to have your old way of life back. You're recognizing, I've got a new nature in Christ, and I'm making choices to put off what needs to go and to put on what there needs to be more of. You know, when I was studying for these Attitude episodes, I really struggled whether to use the word truth or life. Believe life, believe truth, think life, think truth. For every one of these, I believe they're actually very interchangeable because when we have the truth, guess what? We have the life. Read John chapter one this week. You're going to see how truth and life are absolutely intertwined. Add the word grace into this equation that you also see in John chapter one. And I think what we have here is the gospel, grace and truth and life, all from Jesus Christ given to us so that we can believe and think and speak and live and give grace and truth and life to everyone around us, living the gospel even in our attitudes. Now that's a beautiful life. If you miss any of these four attitude episodes, please go back and listen. 
at vowstokeep.com so you can have the communication and unity back in your marriage. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.